0: Welcome to the Tactics Meeting. I'm your host, Dan Smiley, and we'll be talking about response tactics and technology. We've assembled a unique panel of crisis communication experts today to talk about whether or not the press conference is a relic of the past. I have an opinion, i bet you do too. Let's get started. Here on the Tactics Meeting today, we're gonna talk about the press conference in relation to emergency communication and ask the question, is this a a relic of the 90s? And should we be focusing on other means of communication? And for this, we've established our first really big panel on the show. And I'm going to go around the room and, and introduce the experts that we have starting with Suzanne Lagoni, the president of Nexus Northwest, and my contracted PIO, the one who's responsible for keeping me out of trouble in the command post. Suzanne, welcome to the program.
1: Thank you. It's a big job, Dan, but I know
0: somebody's got to do it. Somebody's got to do it. I have to have <laughs> adult supervision. Yes. <laughs> we have Liz Fuller with us today, the president of Guard Communications in Portland, Oregon. She's going to represent the non-oil spill uh, side of crisis communication. She's going to tell us whether we've been living in a dark hole for a while and need to change our ways. Liz, welcome. Thanks,
2: Dan. Good to be here.
0: We're lucky to have Nee Irwin from the Washington State Department of Ecology, who often is the liaison officer, could be the PIO. She's one of the well, regulators for oil spill response here in the state of Washington, and going to give us the perspective about where ecology wants to go in training and drills. Welcome, Nee.
3: Thank you. Good to be here.
0: Sarah Zeeman, crisis communication student, University of Oregon. Hi, Sarah.
4: Hi, Dan.
0: Lauren Wordis, the PIO for the Oregon Department of Environmental Quality. She was our PIO for a big drill we did in Portland just a few weeks ago and has been the PIO for wildfires and hazmat response going on throughout the state of Oregon for the last year. We're going to get some great perspectives. Also, a podcast host for Green State, the new podcast for the Oregon Department of Environmental Quality. I've listened to a couple. They're really good. Everyone should go check that out. Welcome, Lauren.
5: Thanks so much, Dan. Really appreciate being here.
0: And Dylan Darling, also the Oregon Department of Environmental Quality, co host of the podcast Green State, part of the crisis communication team for the state. Welcome, Dylan.
6: Thanks, Dan. Awesome to be here.
0: Really appreciate it. You're welcome. I'm excited. So, the question is what, what, Should we be doing differently when we're talking about crisis communication? And one of the things that kind of came up that was the inspiration for this episode was some fairly damning news articles that came out of the oil spill in Orange County that's actually uh, still going on to to some extent as we talk. And uh, one of the things they talked about was these short non-responsive press conferences, press conferences that lasted less than a half an hour that uh, start, stopped short of really just saying no comment, not providing any real information. And, and a, a strong accusation that the first casualty of this oil spill was the public's right to know that the, the responsible party, the uh, federal and state regulators were just not responsive and i also so in addition to whether the press conference is really a dead tool I, I wonder about whether we are training our people appropriately or if we're really just teaching people to to dodge the questions in an inappropriate way um and i'm going to start with Nee Irwin. Nee You've been the liaison officer for a, a number of events and certainly for, for drills. I know Washington State's been looking at whether or not to continue to require a press conference and a press release for credit. What is the state thinking about doing going forward?
3: So I, I think for for the state of Washington, you know, I mean, changing the credits on a checklist that's a kind of a regulatory uh, document for us I mean that takes a, a little bit of thinking certainly I think there's a uh, some best practices here that we'd like to see um, exercises kind of evolve in and um, I think we we want to get to a place where um, there's a demonstration that uh, in, in a, a company so for example a drill scenario that um, companies are, understanding the importance of communication even more than the actual cleanup activity, right? So I think the sort of prevailing, um, you know, the thing that I hear all the time, I've been hearing for the last 15 years uh, since being in this this agency is, you know, it doesn't matter how well you're cleaning it up. If you're not communicating about it or the public perception of how well you're cleaning it up, it won't matter. And so, you know, the place that we want to kind of push companies and the drill play is to get to this place of, do you understand how important communication is? Do you understand and have a pulse of what the community impacts are that it just happens? This particular incident has happened in this community. Do you know what's happening around the community and who would be concerned? What are they concerned about? And are you set up in terms of your priority about communication that um, to address those concerns? Have you stood up a JIC that's equipped to uh, deal with all of the questions and the concerns that come up? Do you have a good mechanism for pushing out information? Do you have a good understanding that you also need to collect information? So my background is in liaison mainly and You know, we've shifted that into a listening kind of mode because we know our stakeholders have their own constituents, the elected officials um, and uh, the agencies and the tribes. They have all these people that are looking to them. And so those people should be armed with information. And so getting to that place, too, where I think Unified Command to demonstrate that they really do understand the impact of what's happened. Is having that really robust communication system that is both giving information as well as a mechanism for receiving information. So, in drill practice, and I think the regulatory checklist that we're, uh, you know, companies are very concerned about when they are having to exercise, is just is to show that there are these other more modern <laughs> and more relevant ways that uh, uh, companies and the JIC. Um, can communicate, so showing that they can use social media um, you know, effectively, that they have a plan and a strategy for how to communicate about concerns, um, and that they're open to getting the hard questions and maybe in the moment not being able to answer it, but saying, we do understand that this is a concern and we're trying to address it in these ways and we're going to get back to you on it. You know, so getting into that, that mode of rather than shutting things down, but leaving the door open for other communication that can happen, being creative about it.
0: Liz, from outside of the, really outside of the oil spill of business, do you have a different perspective on those early hours for crisis communication? What kind of a plan do you develop for your clients?
2: Thanks, Dan. Um, And it's... I think you make a lot of really great points. It's interesting the way where I sit representing clients, I have clients that, you know, crossover industries, including in energy. And I also work with government. So I can see from both points of view. Um, And to me, one, one thing that I really resonate with is just being creative. You know, it seems to me when you're in a crisis, often in the early hours, you don't know everything. You don't have a lot of information and yet especially in a situation like the one we're talking about, you have a duty to communicate with constituents. And so it's, it's almost like what, what I try to do is tell clients to really ground them in that strategy of, we need to get information out to the general public, to media, to elected officials, to tribes, to other stakeholders that might be around. And yet we won't know everything. And so kind of pushing clients to both be creative in terms of the channels they're using. You know, I think in the drill that we all did, I think we did a pretty good job of, you know, doing a robust um, modeling on social media, which I think is really important and web. Um, We have clients for whom that work in the energy space, we have go sites ready to go. So that in the event of a crisis, we just turn on that website, and it's already ready. It doesn't have to be built. We have to put the information in, of course, and figure out what to share. But just getting those assets ready in advance, you know, we think it's really important. And then I guess I would push, and maybe this is more on the, the structural, the JIC, the Coast Guard, those partners that I, I don't work within, of course, but get to look at from the outside to be more comfortable in that uncertainty of rather than just saying no comment what can they share and then how can they pivot you don't want to get into a position of being out over your skis with sharing information of course but I do think we can be a bit more creative at how we share what we know now and how we indicate with timeliness when we'll be able to share more information and when we'll be able to deliver that to the public and and understanding that acknowledging the frustration and acknowledging the fact that what's happening is really unacceptable and, and we're working as hard as we can to clean it up. I think that that, that compassion perhaps, maybe it's a softer side, which uh, is a bit different to bring to a situation like this, but I do think it plays a role and it's really important. Um, and that I think from a structure standpoint, I can understand why there's a requirement to do a press release and do a press conference. That's great. I think that it should be maybe added to the list to do some social media and do some web. Just because the fact of the matter is any good communicator these days has to work with all those channels. And so it makes sense to, to encourage folks to drill on all of them.
0: Warren, you've been working with communicating from the state of Oregon's perspective through really what has been unprecedented fire seasons over the last uh, couple of years. What have you learned about communicating during this time?
5: Yeah, uh, that's a great question. So um, I think that people really want to know that action is being taken, that there are people on it. Um, They'll have a variety of people whom they trust to be on the situation, but I think the more that you can communicate what is being done the action that is being taken um and and your um as the responsible agency your awareness of the situation i think is very comforting to people in those moments and um in 2020 um i was able to be in both the covid jick for the state and the wildfire jick um so it was a year where i didn't actually work for deq that much but um One thing I learned just as a practical tool is that both of those uh, incidents created a dashboard in the long run. There was a need and a desire from people, from the media, kind of all around the board, people wanting to know the data and what was happening and feel like they could understand um, sort of that, what we would call the common operating picture um but what anyone else would say just i want to know what's happening and so i think that that is a really important aspect here that when we have these stand-up websites and we have all this information coming in you know through um the incident command system we have a lot of forms um which i can rarely remember the numbers but um i think that to create a way for those to roll up in a way that is transparent um, is is really important to as a forward looking um, way to communicate information and for people to feel like we are not holding this information closely, that we want them to know about it and be a part of it. Um, So I I think that that's one thing I've really taken away from both of those experiences. I would also say that that first press release, kind of as me was saying earlier about um, there is a place to get this information, especially from the media, I still think that press release is incredibly important. Um, I know as uh, COVID and wildfires, as these incidents take off, the press will know about it and they will find who they think is the closest person to the information and call them. Um, and that person's mailbox will become full very, very quickly. And so to the extent that you can give people a number to reach out to, where you can start to log those calls, respond to those calls, build um, build a base of questions that need answering, and start to you know work through that list and respond um, is really important. However, yeah, to the extent that we need to Practice a, a, an actual press conference on the first day. I mean, I, I, while I think the press are an incredibly important source of information to a group of people, you know, having that be the foundation of, you know, a pass fail on a drill, I don't know if that's really the crux. You know, that could be an element if it gets played out, but social media is where, you know, I think it's where the rumors are going to start flying, if there are going to be any, and it's the first place people are going to look. So um, I agree with Liz, too, that in the drill that we worked on together, the way that that played out was just a really helpful exercise of that skill.
0: So, Dylan, what other venues or, or channels for communication, are we adapting then? We talked about social media. When I think about social media, I think about Twitter and Facebook. Maybe I used to think a little about Parler, but not, not I don't think they really exist anymore. Um, my cousins aren't using any of those things. You know, they're 12 and 16. And I don't know what they're using. I should have polled them for, for this. Maybe Sarah's going to help us out a little bit with what's in the on the table. What do you think, Dylan? What are you guys using outside of those traditional channels of communication?
6: That's a great question. I I I have yet to set up a Snapchat for for a spill. Um, That's probably pretty old. Snapchat's probably even like a decade old now.
0: Little MySpace, maybe.
6: Yeah. I don't know if you can get on Foursquare still, but um, I, I mean, w- we joke about it, but recognizing what all those new tools um, for now, primarily Twitter and Facebook, um, they've both been around for a while, but they're so prominent that those are the ones I still put a focus on. Uh, LinkedIn is also out there, but it's more, you know, a professional setting, you um, different environment um you know you might want to put something on there but i'd emphasize twitter facebook and then potentially instagram which are uh, instagram and facebook and meta all just the same tangle um uh, we'll leave that for another podcast but um I, i'd focus on those two and, and i i really like this conversation while having um just these questions about the the press conference, the press release, um, I've been in this role with the DEQ for about two years, and before that, I was in media uh, in newspapers for almost twenty years. Um, not to date myself, but um, you know, having not that long ago been on the other side, um, I've definitely seen it well. You can tell that the communicators for an incident are just woken, woken on a the perfect press release or setting up the perfect, like, photo opportunity of a press conference. And all I would have wanted as a journalist was the basics at 10 a.m. in the morning, one or two blurry, well, hopefully halfway decent photos, um, but a few photos maybe even some video. Um, It just seems like you can get caught up in we have to do all this information. And as Lauren and Nee said, uh, with that first news release, it might even just be, yes, something's happened. Here's who's going to communicate. And tying back to social media, I feel like the same thing can happen, that you spend so much time strategizing what to do about social media. And in some of the drills I've been in, it's all this work and doing a social media plan. It's like you need to start posting right away because you want to establish yourself as the authoritative voice about whatever has happened and be the one putting out the information, putting out photos. Because if you don't enter that space early, like you won't be the voice. Someone else, you know, Joe Schmo, Twitter, um, who might have a different agenda and You know, might start with a very critical angle, or, you know, might even just be putting out facts that then you have to chase, and all of a sudden your job becomes totally different. Like instead of trying to put out this information, you're trying to deal with someone else putting out uh, misinformation about this incident. Well, it makes me think about the priority tables
0: that we have for deploying response strategies in the in the early hours of a response, we don't wait for uh, decisions to be made about where to put out. Boom. We we have pre-identified strategies, and we work those until we get other instructions from the Unified Command. We could take the same approach to this, right? We could have a, a pre-defined communications priorities that allow us to get going that we've agreed upon maybe even include in the area plan so that the responsible party and the unified command don't feel like they have to approve them and that's where we bog down right so the unified command has to approve messages well then nothing gets out and we need to give our paos this is my perspective as an incident commander we need to give our pios the authority to get out there and speak for the response and come back to us if there if there is a an an issue and that brings me to suzanne lagone my my pio who you know we did a response um uh for uh ship fire not that long ago and i woke suzanne up at midnight <laughs> And, Indeed. <laughs> <laughs> right. And, you know, she didn't get in her car and, and drive down to the command post, but she got on the phone and she talked to the fire department PIO, the state's PIO, the Coast Guard's PIO and crafted uh, a strategy. So and and she didn't come back to me asking what needed to be done. So. Suzanne, how important is it to be activated early?
1: Well, it's essential. I think that what we have heard, first of all, I want to congratulate all my colleagues here on the call because the observations are right on target. Uh, we've talked about these things for, for years, literally, and uh, I, I see some improvement. I, I actually started in the response world uh, in 1994 in Alaska. We were one of the first major exercises up there after Open 90 and uh, have been working uh, many years since then. And everyone who said the press release has been around is absolutely right. Uh, That was one of the first things that we were tasked to get done in that exercise, just as it was one of the first things that uh, we've been tasked to do in the most recent exercise. So I think, Nii, you make an excellent point. And uh, the the question, I think, particularly from the person perspective of the regulators is what's going to stand, what can we do that's going to still measure capabilities and capacity that uh, also meets the communication world that we exist in today? And uh, so that's a challenge for all of us to work together to figure out. Um, uh, There are a couple of things I just wanted to uh, highlight about what we've heard so far. Uh, I, uh, I applaud Liz and Lauren um, particularly for your emphasis that this this is a human interaction that we're involved in. Uh, I like to remind uh, responders and particularly unified commanders that uh we've made, and by we I just mean the collective us, we've made a mess in somebody's backyard and uh, sometimes uh, we have situations that uh, people are, are fearful if they smell fumes, if they are seeing things, for example, on social media that cause alarm, we need to understand that it's our job to help alleviate those fears, to help people understand what has happened in their backyard. Uh, We can't do that by spending four hours carefully crafting a four-paragraph press release. Um, We've lost that We've lost that fight. We've lost that high ground log before that press release comes out. But I also want to reflect that uh, I agree, Lauren, I think you were the one that said it, that the press release is not dead. It still is a statement of record. We need to do it. But I'd like to see us measure something else in addition to the press release to uh, help us all decide. It's it's not so much uh, our license to operate or however you want to um, describe it, but it's how we as communicators, that's our job. Whether I'm representing WSMIC or another client or needs representing the state, Lauren and Dylan, you're representing your state. No matter who we're representing, we've all got a common goal, which is to help the community understand what's going on. Uh, So a a couple of other observations that uh, I've made in the past and I'd like to emphasize because it draws together what I'm hearing is that um, communication is certainly about working with media and working with stakeholders and working with electeds, but it really is about communicating with everyone. Uh, What I have uh, tried to encourage as much as we can within the ICS structure is that the Joint Information Center and the liaison office certainly are sitting next to each other, but are quite intertwined. Uh, We have one responsibility. It's communication. It's, It's informing our community. We just use different different uh, methods for doing that but the more that we can work together in the same room with the same information fact gatherers first of all it helps stretch our resources but second of all it ensures that we have um, a common message and uh, so I I like to see that I encourage that when I'm working in sim cells or doing coaching during exercises Uh, so I think that gives us a little bit more that we can think about as we try to find a better way forward. Uh, And I, uh, I'm happy to hear other ideas. Although one, one other thing, and then um, I will shift over to Sarah and get her perspective as uh, the generation that's coming up and has to deal with this is, I would love it if someday we could have a communications exercise. Uh, Do you recall we we tried to do that years and years ago on those December uh, gatherings that we used to have, and uh, and that's the last time I remember that ever being done. But uh, we've got sitting here on these screens some real experts from a variety of backgrounds. Uh, certainly, there are others. We the Coast Guard needs to be present in that kind of an exercise, but I would love to see us commit to that and perhaps. Perhaps there's um, a company out there that would help with, um, quite frankly, the finances of doing something like that. So uh, I think that would help us find some answers. I believe the the answers are out there. The method is out there. We, as the communicators, are going to have to take the initiative to see that this is done.
0: I'll stop there, Dan. Thanks, Suzanne. Sarah, our upcoming PIO, she's rapidly becoming my drill right hand what are your what are your thoughts and also where do you get your news you know i get <laughs> do you,
4: Where do you get? it
0: yeah does the newspaper show up on your front porch or
4: no it does not um i don't know if i've ever took the time to read the newspaper as opposed unless it was like finding a picture of myself in 4-h from it um I would say that I do get a lot of my news from Twitter. I don't really use Twitter for much else. I find it as an easy way to just keep track of sort of everything that's going on. Um, the <laughs> The social media that we're missing, as Dylan, I see stated in our chat. I would say Instagram is actually a little bit bigger of a th- Thing, um, for at least like my generation and below I would say and of course with the up-and-coming rise of the TikTok madness I would say it's TikTok is definitely very prevalent but I think that Instagram has adapted to sort of take on some of the TikTok functions without the sort of um stigma that TikTok has around it which is interesting and that's sort of leading us into this place of even more visual communication the the videos um, that sort of world away from like just watching the news on the TV it's sort of bringing that background full circle into this this new age of of communication for sure. But I definitely agree that the press releases is, is not, it's not dead quite yet, at least, <laughs> um, at least for the communication, the crisis communication world, I would say that it's, it's definitely not um, as crucial for a lot of other communications anymore, but definitely crisis communication. Even if it's just a way, an initial way to gather information and and release information, maybe even on those social media platforms, just as like a formality. Um, and also, for sure, leading with compassion and in response is huge. We're not we're not only. Um, representing who we work with we're we're representing the people the people um who like Suzanne said we're in we're in their backyard and they they need to know and that's part of um what we're doing is is um helping helping them
0: it seems like younger people are skeptical of 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 government they're skeptical of of corporations they're skeptical of these of these messages along with compassion how do we deliver a message that is believable that's trusted any thoughts on that you tell the truth the truth oh wait a minute back back the card up the truth
4: you tell the truth and you tell it first yeah so i would say we are skeptical for sure I think we've sort of grown up in this world of the digital age, and that has led us to be more skeptical, possibly, because we have all of this information all the time, and not all of it's true. Um, So making sure that we're always being honest in what we're saying, even if that is, I don't know right now, but here's what I'm doing to find out that that is super important. And that just that just builds trust for, for future relationships on and on and on so that when we actually do have information to tell that we're being believed.
0: Yeah. You, you ran the social media simulation for us during a, a drill we did last month. How realistic did you think that part of the exercise was compared to the rest of your social media interactions day to day?
4: Uh, that's, that's hard to, t- to know. Because, well, some of the other work that I do doesn't directly work in the crisis world. And that side of communications is completely different than what we do here. But I think in a time of crisis, Um, even things like Reddit, you know, where people are just circulating information, they're like, well, I don't know what's going on. But from what I know, and the fumes that I'm smelling, well, here's what I think. And then that just continues to sort of spiral. So I think that it it maybe, who knows if it would have been realistic in like what we were saying, and just the generation of concerned people. um, Because who knows what people are ready to come up with in in a time of crisis but the the fact that people are going to say something and that rumors are going to circulate is is definitely definitely applicable
0: liz how do you jump out and deal with those rumors those those you know known untruths that we expect (laughs) we expect they're come they're going to be coming out but we have to address them somehow
2: there will always be known untruths, as you pointed out. Um, I think for for me, when I'm advising a client, I want to see, you know, what are the known untruths, the the rumors, what what have you, that need to be addressed right away. What's the right channel to put them out? You know, again, we look at is that social web press release. <laughs> I tend to think of the press conference being the most formal of the comms tactics. So you kind of want to use that selectively. And when you have something to say, I think maybe that's part of what the problem is with some of these that, you know, you don't have a lot to say, and then you have a press conference, then everyone feels really deflated because nothing has been stated. So maybe you should have just put it out in a press release instead, right? And made the PIO accessible for a phone call. Um, You know, I, I tend to think that you will never correct every single rumor. And to some extent, you could spend your entire time spiraling downward into this pit of rumor mills next door, which Dylan just put it in the thread. Reddit, <laughs> Twitter, <laughs> all of these places are just never-ending sources of mistruth. And so I think to some extent, you need to consider... When are you just focusing on your message and your story and putting that out there and not worrying about the noise, you know, um, versus, and I think it's really a judgment call. I'm, I'm really situational when we do comms because you just, sometimes you do need to address it and sometimes you need to ignore them. I know that you have addressed previously or the facts are out there. And that's what matters, you know, and looking at which audiences care the most or need to know the most.
0: So you said you have websites, ghost sites that are already set up. Are they already named with URLs or do you have you wait until you see what the incident is for a particular company and then jump out and and purchase a a URL to go along with making the site go live? How does that work?
2: I think you can do it either way, just from a functionality standpoint, the ones we have set up or have named URLs that are very general, so they can apply to the company that we work for, no matter where the incident is around the country, let's just say. Um, Because just logistically, if you put up a new site, it takes a few days to populate around the internet, so it's harder to find. That's why it's nice to have one that's maybe hidden from view, but it's already out there um the obviously the other option which i have to say lauren to your COVID experience the dashboard is amazing i used it so much <laughs> in the COVID, uh you know and i still check it almost daily the oha numbers and all that stuff has just been just such great communication so really kudos to the state of oregon on that front I think that there's another option, which is just to use an existing website and create a new web page. So it's easier to direct. You don't always need a new site. It just that sometimes for some of our clients, that's the best option. So again, situational probably depends. And a COVID situation, it was great that OHA and DQ could use their existing assets, if you will, less to inform of people.
0: So, Lauren, how did that dashboard come about? Did... And did you guys set up a separate site for that, or did you roll it into the existing DEQ site?
5: Um, Well, I think, you know, that was really more work of Oregon Health Authority. But um, one thing I'll say is that it was really born out of what we're talking about, which is like questions from the public and questions from the media about the daily numbers. And they were putting this information out, I'll say, in press releases. There is still, to this day, a daily press release about the number of um, uh, confirmed COVID cases, number of deaths. And I know that individual uh, publications were trying to keep their own records. But there wasn't a long term big picture state record anywhere. And I think, you know, um, rather than having to have that exist in a spreadsheet somewhere or something like that, eventually, Oregon Health Authority realized that they were going to be dealing with, you know, this large, large amount of data over a long time and, you know, looking forward to the future about vaccinations and uh, different mutations of the virus that this was really going to be um, in parts a data communication problem. And so um, I believe they contracted out with a company to help them get that dashboard set up so that they could have the tools in place to just automate that upload. And then it did fit into their existing website.
0: I thought it was interesting that Liz talked about the press conference being the most formal and being sure that you have something concrete to say when you use that tool. And I hadn't really thought of it as a tool before, but just as a requirement of the of regulations, right? So, Ni, when we talk about restructuring, what about that idea of focusing on the press conference being a, a more formal thing that we roll out when we have you know, something positive or something really informative to say, hey, we capped the well, we, you know, what, whatever. What are your thoughts?
3: I, I, I think the, the, the place that we sort of go to is also at the time of the crisis, we wanna put a face to it. And so the press conference I think that first initial press conference, and maybe it's in, in how we um, uh, uh, talk about the first press conference. So this is an opportunity. Uh, we don't know a lot of information, but we want you know these faces to be associated with this. The responsible party is the face of the incident. They've taken responsibility for it. Um, the state agencies, we are here to uh, for the interests of uh, the the public and you know all of those issues. so having I feel like that first press conference meets that purpose. it's put it's putting the face of the responsible decision makers to the incident so that there is someone that the public can say they're not hiding, they're not hiding behind something. they're there. they don't know a whole lot, but you know this is what it is. so I, I do think that it is valuable in those first early hours to put a face to the incident. But yes, I agree with Liz that it is a tool that in our toolkit of things that uh, we use, you know, when there is something to share or that you're willing to actually take some hard questions from the press when you know a little bit more. And I think also, too, uh, the use of subject matter experts. Um, is something that you really should use more um, i think it's it's helpful for those subject matter experts to be in in the in the in the uh, the view of, of the limelight kind of to answer those questions because that's where you you build that trust like sarah's talking about i'm talking to an actual person who understands this particular issue and so it gives a little bit more credibility than sort of that talking head idea right so first it's Presenting the the responsible, um, sort of the, the people responsible for making the decision. So there's that empathy conversation that we're having there. Something horrible has happened. We're here in the community. We're committed to being here, cleaning this up until it's done. Those are some of those talking points that, you know, we practice in drills for the responsible party. You know, the federal on-scene coordinator is someone that's there to say, this is our authority. This is the regulation. The state saying that it's happened in our state. We have resources that we want to protect. The tribes have the same message about, you know, their cultural impacts and their community impacts as well. So I think it's it's important to have those people in the front early on so there's a face to the response to say all of the great, you know, those messages at that, you know, aspect of empathy but then later on, it's used judiciously to do interviews, maybe, you know, to get more in-depth into some topic that's happening. Um, and again, those subject matter experts, they're there for a reason, and they're the ones, there's a there's a reason why Dr. Fauci is everywhere, right? He's the expert. They decided he's the face of, of this, you know, COVID response, and people trust him because he's the expert. This is a person who's been doing this for a really long time. I'm going to trust that much more than I'm going to talk you know, trust a sort of communicator that is a generalist, right? If I want to understand about environmental impacts or air quality, I want to hear it from the people who, who know what they're talking about. Now, sir, you know, I, I think some of the subject matter experts need a little bit of coaching to kind of talk, plain talk a little bit. Um, but at the same time, I just think that's, that's, that's what it brings credibility to um, how we communicate. So, I don't want to say that the press conference is completely out or even the press release, because I agree, but the main focus of them should just be that it needs to, to, to be done to set these very clear um, goals early on, but then it 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 becomes, you know, just again, um, another kind of tool in our toolkit.
0: Dylan, as a past journalist, what is it that you expect to see when you attend a press conference? What makes it worth your time to drive to a location and uh, sit down as part of an audience and listen to these people talk?
6: Yeah, it's a great question, Stan. Um, And my mind is is going back to different press conferences that I've been to, um, probably the The ones that relate the most would be uh, wildfire press conferences. I covered a lot of wildfire in Northern California and in Oregon. And, you know, putting myself back in my journalist mindset, uh, you'd want to get just a lot of numbers, facts, and figures. And, um, you know, hopefully by being there in the room, there might be some nice charts and visuals to kind of help make those numbers not just be some figures on a page but when we're talking about acres or square miles affected um, you got this map and someone really just explaining things so just an explanation of the information that's been coming out um, and then as we've been discussing and in, in, in need uh, and Liz said so well, um, really looking for these um, people who might be the faces of a of a response and kind of a, a reassuring voice as well. Because um, lots of times, you know, as a journalist, you're thinking like the public. And if there's a community that's affected, if there's... Um, uh, you know, resources downstream, like switching my thoughts to an oil spill if it's going to be affecting fish or a fishery, uh, other environmental resources that people care about. Again, going in this press conference, you want to hear people address these things like you hope that the people planning it are thinking about what the community wants to know. And I think the most frustrating ones that I've been to is it's just like this real high level like don't worry about it type of tone and not recognizing um and then also uh you know when you're a journalist you have a lot of questions and and you want to have your chance to say them and um uh i think of press conferences that i covered um of a former governor in california i I don't know if i should say his name he was in action movies um (laughs) but those press conferences for uh governor arnold schwarzenegger were always really interesting in the q a section because it was just like all right you guys have like two minutes and it was literally the journalists having to like shout over each other and um i don't know i if you can give journalists a chance to feel like they've you know they don't it's okay if they don't have time to ask all the questions but at least the top one or two just recognizing how important that Q&A section is. Suzanne how do you prepare these these, uh,
0: uh, subject matter experts for the press conference?
1: Well, it can be as simple as, excuse me, uh, describing what a key message is. And uh, helping, uh, helping them form those messages, deliver those messages, uh, as someone else alluded to earlier, uh, try to encourage them not to get lost in the details. And oh, for heaven's sake, avoid jargon. That may be one of the biggest things that uh, kills us when we're trying to communicate what's going on. Um, and it's, it's not just the subject matter experts. One of the points I wanted to make before we run out of time Here is uh, again, as communicators, uh, part of our responsibility is to communicate well with our unified command and help them understand uh, the the incredible importance of communicating with with the public. Um, It's always an objective. If you look at any 202, you're always going to see, keep the public and uh, stakeholders informed. But have you ever noticed it's the bottom one? It's always the last one on the list. And I would be happy just uh, if I saw that a little higher up in the bulleted list. And I say that a little bit with Jess, but it's our job.
0: Fourth is the best you're ever going to get.
1: I see. Well, you and I need to chat then. Uh, But I, I, uh, I think part of our responsibility is to truly help uh, the individuals in the Unified Command understand how important this is, uh, and whatever language it takes, we we need to draw upon our relationships with these individuals. That's uh, again where drills are very important. That we do get to know each other, we get to know the individuals who will be in a Unified Command, but come in with good, solid strategies. And as the PIO supported and right next to the liaison officer, come in, and I'm not going to say be overly aggressive, but be assertive about what it is that we need to do and what we need from them in order to do our job effectively. Um, yeah, a big part of that, of course, is the approval process. Um, uh, Ni nee and her colleagues have come up with a checklist to take into the Unified Command and first thing, and get sign off on what a JIC and a liaison can do um, without coming back for further approval. That's an excellent tactic that helps us get along uh, the road. But it also helps our unified commanders understand that this is a huge part of their responsibility. They are ambassadors for this response in the public. Uh, we need to make that job as easy for them as we can, but also help them recognize that it is vital, it's important, it's every bit as important as cleaning up oil. So uh, that, that's, uh, for me, the other side of the equation, the inward communication, the inward relationship building that I would like to see us spend uh, just as much attention as we are when we're
0: uh, communicating externally. Thanks, Suzanne. Sarah, you're back. I'm back. You're back. Would you watch it? Would you watch press? It's got to be really important to you to take time out to actually watch a press conference. In
4: yes, it, it would have to be very important to take time out to watch a press conference. But I think that that does not um, take away from its value, because I think that the One of the most important relations at the press conference is the journalists. Like This is your opportunity to make a connection with the journalists. They are there to help relay the information that you want to give them. Um, it's your opportunity to talk with them to make sure that they know what's going on so they can help spread the story in, in the limelight for everyone um, in a way that's effective. But I think that the comment about also identifying your your spokespeople and your professionals is is super key as well.
0: Last thing I want to ask, and Suzanne, you're absolutely right because you mentioned the communication exercise, and now I'm thinking about it. I'm I'm so happy. I hope you guys want to do one because we're gonna do one. What does that look like? What is this communication exercise? look like? What What do we need to staff? Who needs to be in this? Let's start with Liz. What does that look like? How would you go about structuring this communication exercise?
2: Um, I think you'd want, as you typically do, the players from all the different parties, because I think to me, a lot of the challenge and the benefit is the collaboration you get between the state agency and the Coast Guard and the, the company. You know, and making us like work together is it's oftentimes we hadn't, you know, before. And it's a really helpful and prudent exercise to do that. And then I think just drilling on all the comms channels. I think a lot of great points have been made over the course today. Maybe we would pull in, you know, a little bit more. To me, the liaison and the comms piece need more overlap often in, in these plans because there's such a tie across between those two audiences um, maybe the comms exercise could pull a little bit more from somebody pretending to be an elected official someone pretending you know from the tribal community or pretending you know just to really play out those different um, spheres of influence and constituents a bit more that would be interesting to make it more realistic I'm just trying to think of what what else would really come to bear on one of these plans
0: what do you think Dylan thoughts on how to pull off a really robust communication exercise that would help the community?
6: Yeah, gosh, I, I think adding a component Mm -hmm. of getting unified command approved photos and videos from operations or who else would provide that. I'm I'm still learning ICS. So it's like, gosh, who would you even get that from? I, I do know you'd need it to be approved by the, you see um but just having that be a, a part of this um because i just wanted to emphasize uh you know sarah touched on it i feel like the younger generation and a lot of the public and out there it's they want visual information and that means that media also want that and these days with the media landscape they're really relying on us more than they ever have um I worked at four different newspapers and all of those used to have photo staffs and now they're down to like one or two people each and also if we're in a remote location um you know so it's this combination of providing access if we can to actual journalists trying to get out there to document things or um there was way more appetite than ever um from the media and the public for visuals, um, uh, in part cause how the media puts it out, they have websites. And so the old constraints of a couple minutes on the evening news, or, uh, you know, a small page in the newspaper, uh, they can put up galleries and 20 minute video. Like they can just put up a lot more than they could, um, even like a decade ago. Um, so, yeah, if we could add just somehow recognizing that and, and making it part of the drill. Nee, you've helped us
0: craft these exercises before, maybe not to this scale, but certainly the uh, communication side of some tabletop exercises. What would you like to see?
3: Yeah, I mean, we we've actually have done Uh, a workshop, a two-day workshop for um, JIC and liaison early, early on um, years ago when we were really embarking on um, a a big overhaul of the um, JIC manual and the liaison manual as part of the Northwest Area Contingency Plan. Um, I think EPA hosted it for us and it it was really good. I mean, it was the first time we were practicing some uh, new templates and some new initiatives that we wanted to kind of see. So I, I think it, it should be in combination of, of some, um, I think, um, uh, information sharing and best practices. Uh, like first, either, you know, maybe the first part of, of, of the day or something, and then an actual drill scenario. Um, and I would love to see in addition to everything that everyone else has said is is the actual practice of the conversation that happens when we all come together. So we are all coming together as agencies, responsible party, um, you know, all these different um, entities in in terms of communications. And we have to come to agreement on how we're going to move forward as a JIC. Who's, you know, and in those early hours, um, you know, how do you, how long does it really take to set up a website? Even the decision around, having a website, the URL, um, you know, paying for it, who's, who's supporting it, like actually going through the steps of saying, this is actually how long it would really take. We, we can sit here and say, yeah, we just turn on a button and it goes out there. It doesn't quite work that fast, but but it, we have to come in, in into agreement about it. Um, I think about a uniqueness of Oregon and Washington. So when it happens on the Columbia River, that is a shared resource. Who is the lead agency? and who should be that lead uh, communicator or the, the, uh, the, the, um, the information that it's coming from. So early on, if we agree that um, Twitter is going to be the social media uh, tool that we use, whose is it? We haven't exactly established one for the, the uh, sort of brand of the incident. Um, so is it Ecology's Twitter account? Is it the EQ's Twitter account? I think um, the public does not have uh, um, the acceptance of, of uh, having it be the responsible party. So, you know, it's one of those things where we want to have a conversation about it. So I would love to see in an exercise how do we sit down and have that conversation and and make the decision in order to go to Unified Command and say, as a JIC, we are recommending this. And we have all come into agreement. We have formed, uh, you know, the best practices. And uh, so there's the, the exercise we're doing today. There's not enough time to have those conversations. And so I think uh, if we're going to do a communication drill, this, that's where we want to be, is let's have those hard conversations, make those decisions, um, and really practice what it would really take to stand up a robust jick with all the things that we need, a website, a social media presence, videos, and all of that.
0: Lauren, you were nodding in agreement. You don't think it should be the responsible party's Twitter account. How do do you guys go about establishing your social media presence?
5: Um, Yeah, no, I think that uh, usually folks... Um, are pretty mad at the responsible party and that's not who they want to see representing the solution, considering people view them as um, the problem. Though, of course, they are an, an integral part of unified command um, in in no small part because they're paying for the response. But, uh, you know, I guess uh, in the responses I've been a part of, I... I think there's been a clear lead agency, but I would say, you know, that's such a great point, nee, because when it came to wildfires, that was an important question. You know, it affected a bunch of different um, areas of the state, a lot of resources. So the Oregon Office of Emergency Management was involved coordinating that response, but fighting fire is Oregon Department of Forestry. So who, you know, who leads that and, does it make sense for there to be multiple accounts talking about different things or does that muddy the message? I think what you're talking about, um, working out those issues ahead of time is, is really important so that we have a plan if something happens.
0: Suzanne, as the person that I'm going to have lead uh, the responsible party side of this exercise, basically get thrown under the bus, how do you want to see us structure it?
1: I've been there once or twice, Dan, you know that.
0: Um, yeah, you, you're I, familiar with the underside of that bus, aren't you? I, am,
1: I, I have been there. Um, I uh, I think most of the clients I work with would be very happy to participate in something like this. Now, I'm not saying that every single operator would think that this was a good idea, but uh, yeah, industry is as interested as the agencies in community communicating well and uh, making sure, as I said earlier, that this mess is getting cleaned up and that the community is comfortable, that it's being cleaned up in a competent, responsible way. So I I don't think that it would be a problem to have uh, the right company participate. I always agree with the idea that you want to have an agency person. If it's an oil spill on water, I want to see a blue uniform up there talking because the Coast Guard is going to be bringing that that authority and that gravitas, if you will, to a response. Uh, but uh, that's something that I need to help my clients, and Liz, you've probably had this experience also, help them feel comfortable with that we are not always the best spokesperson. and that is especially true in the opening days of a response. Uh, the public, the media, they want to hear those reassuring messages that action is being taken, that uh, that the government is overseeing what's going on and keeping an eye on everything that's going on. Um, so I, I, I want to stress that I don't I don't think that the companies would be adverse to this. Uh, When it comes to is it uh, a company's website or an agency's website, in oil spill response, um, we're all pretty much now relying on jetty sites that uh, that from their appearance, you can't tell if it is a ConocoPhillips-sponsored website or a Department of Ecology-sponsored. You've got all the logos on the top, and it it's sending the message of a unified command. Now, if there is an issue of who is paying for that site, as I think Lauren mentioned, the responsible party is paying for all of this when the bills all come in. So if it is a uh, a jetty site that is coming up through conical phillips i'll use their name again i i don't have a problem with that and i would be interested in lauren knee and dylan if you have any problem with that um but a, a, again the, these are the issues I, and i think getting back to what would make this a valuable useful exercise it's a good strong planning committee looking at these issues laying them out ahead of time and then going to uh the the next rung of people and agencies and companies that would have to be uh, involved and say, here's what we've identified. We're all experienced crisis communicators. This is whatever our experience has told us are the things, excuse me, that are going to cause us pause in the first 24 or 48 hours let's get together, let's start to find answers, let's work to find policy for measuring the success of communication, and uh, let's just get to work on this because all of our credibility, uh, whether it's WSMIC or it's a company or it's the agencies or it's the Coast Guard, all of our credibility relies on us doing this well and getting very good at it as as younger smarter people than us like Sarah are coming up and are looking at communication in a very different way uh, so we need to we need to help facilitate that and um, get on board let's get it done
0: Thanks Suzanne I think that's a great Place to end this. I think we're out of time for today. Thank you all so much for taking the time to come and join us and talk about crisis communication. And we'll be in touch as we set this drill up. And that's uh, all Suzanne's fault once again. Thank you for joining us on the tactics meeting. That's all we have time for today. I hope that you enjoyed what our panel had to say. If you have an idea for a topic or you would like to be a guest on the show yourself, you can email me. The address is podcast at tacticsmeeting.online.